Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of Just Riding Along. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Chicken Nuggets. Uh, we're going to get some house cleaning out of the way off the top. If you're from, or if you're a patron, you are, that that gives the correct level. We're just going to go ahead and get that out of the way right now. So these these kind souls or associations give us $10 or more every month. And that would be Will, Will, Thigh, Ty, mm, Ty. Scott, Phil, Parker, Nick, Nicholas, Ben from Mountain Bike Radio, Jenny Telia, Jeff Allison, Jamie, Jake, Garrett, Evan, Brad, Bill, Anthony, Alec, Aaron, Lead Out Sports, Troy, Troy, <laughs> Michael, Jeff, Brady, and Affordable Trail Solutions, formerly known as Jeff with a J. Jeff with a J. So, um, you can mark one of those things off your list, and then I think that's all of our our housekeeping that we need to take care of off the top. I know we have a couple of questions, so what do we want to do first? Do we want to do what we've been doing or what questions are? Okay, who's going to go first? Andrea said we've been doing. We're we're fixing our mixer. We're going to fix her the mixer for sure. So um, who's going to go first? Kenny, Andrea, me? I'll go real quick. I don't have a lot of fun stuff to talk about. I've been riding my motorcycle a bunch. It's really good. Did some more single tracky stuff recently. Super good time. Like stuff that's scary on a mountain bike and is not quite as scary on a motorcycle. So yeah, good times. That's it. Other than that, still busy. Lots of stuff to do. So much bike stuff to do. So many parts to buy. Lots of bike shops. Lots of employees. Lots of things to juggle. Um, yeah, demand's not going down. That's for sure. That's it. That's it's all I like, got. From, from my perspective, what I've seen is demand, and I'm not trying to be argumentative, demand may be slightly declining, but it's still well, well above any norms that we're used to. No, I think the absolute bananas of like May through at least August of last year, it's not quite that crazy for sure. But yes, very busy. Kenny, in your area, does stuff slow down in the wintertime or does it stay kind of like, I don't know, moderately like the temperature kind of moderate enough that it doesn't slow down a lot? Like, is there a big difference between summer and winter where you are? There is a very noticeable decline in traffic, but there's still always people in the store. There's always people, you know, getting their new bike for next season, doing frame up build stuff, people doing overhauls on their bike, you know, being proactive and getting ready for next year. So yeah, it's very steady, but without a doubt, I mean, it's, half of the volume of uh, summertime, but it's not like a ghost town. And we got plenty of stuff to do. I mean, we're, you know, cleaning up the shop, organizing, you know, painting, 
building new stuff. <laughs> uh, we're going to be working on building new properties. Like I've got tons of stuff to do, but straight up customer traffic. Yeah, it's slower, but it's pretty moderate here as far as weather goes. And a lot of people travel down South to go ride their bikes, but their home base is here. So they usually get their bikes worked on here and not like in St. George, for example. Um, yeah. So it stays steady. I mean, it really wintertime here is no different than probably most of like the um, I don't know where you'd call it. I mean, think, well, it's not even as gnarly as like Ohio. It, it gets into like, it kind of averages in the thirties and forties. Like it's not even that cold. And we get maybe one to two feet of snow in the Valley. Like it's not a big deal. Like there's usually, you can count on one hand how many like big snow days there are. And that's it. So it's very, it's very Denverish, right? Like it'll be cold and snow and then the sun will burn it off and you could ride like the bike path. Yeah, pretty much. I think it's very, you know, living in Fort Collins for a year, I would say maybe even Fort Collins was slightly more snowy and cold than Salt Lake City. So yeah, it's it's not a big deal. What else is cracking with you? That's it. All the same stuff. Still got the same bike. It works awesome. Have I done anything to it at all? I think I'm going to put just like crazy tires on it and just try the crazy tire game. Like just go all the way one direction. Um, I think I'm going to like crazy as in like fast track 2.1s or in <laughs> no, like not that DHF crazy. DHR 2.6 or 2.8. Yeah. Like gnarlier than that. I think I'm going to go Asagai 2.5 front and rear Damn. and just try it. Say I can just to say that I've tried the new latest greatest, um, at least just looking at them, the Asagai seems to be pretty good looking tire it doesn't have these big old uh like channels in between as you lean it over further and further there's not just like missing sections of tread if you look at a dhf there's like side knobs all the way at the side like when you're falling over and then there's like just a void it's very bizarre i don't know why they do that uh but i prefer to have some tread all the way around so we'll try them i'll let you guys know how it goes they're probably 100 grams heavier per tire it's not a huge deal and I'll let you know if the rolling resistance is just unacceptable and maybe I'll meet somewhere in the middle on the rear. But yeah, I'll try it. They might not be that great. I've been pretty happy with my recons. I'm on recon two sixes right now on like this slightly kind of middle compound, the Max Terra one. And it's been a really good tire. It's real supple. I haven't ripped any of them yet. Uh, it's reasonably reasonable weight. So good tire. I might come back to that one. I think that's it Word. for me. Um, I'm going to look at a calendar real quick. So, yeah, so we recorded last Friday, and now it's, like, we recorded that day. So, since we recorded last, I went and I had my first experience at the junkyard. I went to the junkyard for the first time, which is absolutely... It was pull apart. It, pull apart is a self-service junkyard. I mean, Well, there's there's know. corporate junkyards, and then there's Memphis not corporate junkyards, which I have spent a lot of time in both, and they are very entertaining. That's the only time that I would open carry was (laughs) in junkyards. You would literally have crackheads come, like, steal parts out of your wheelbarrow. It was bizarro. Like, you didn't even own the part yet. I don't even know what they're doing. They're just there, and they just, like, scurry around and, like, do sketchy shit. It's like that dude with the derailleur. (laughs) (laughs) I need this. Yeah. I got to buy it to get out of here, but I need it. 
Yeah, maybe it's like the labor involved in pulling it. They don't want to do it, so they just like steal stuff that's been pulled off of a car. I don't know. Very bizarre. Pretty hilarious though. Um, well, I had my first experience at a at a junkyard. You pull and pay in uh, Colorado Springs. What'd you buy? And then I came. Oh man, so I have a '98 Frontier, and it had a bench seat in the front. Oh damn! And you still have that to thing. The Dude, fuck yeah, I do. That Dang. thing rips. What'd what you, you put some? About? You put some captain's chairs up there, like from a conversion van. They can no, like swivel backwards. Uh, <laughs> there's no backwards to go to. There's nowhere to go. I mean, you can look um, out that little window. You can you can open up that little back window. Does your back window open? Back window. Or only the well, one my time. back window. My back window is a slider, and the slider's made out of plexiglass, so oh, it's pretty yeah, hard yeah. to open and close. Oh, no, you're fine. Yeah, you can turn around backwards, and you can look out the back of your truck. Well, what I actually did is exterior seats are a direct bolt-in. Like, all the bolts are there under the carpet. You just have to physically, like, stab some new holes and cram the bolt in. It's not that bad. Um, and I bought the center console out of an exterior, which is a four-door truck, and mine's a two-door truck, so it got a little weird, but... I converted it over to buckets with a center console, and I had previously scored. They were from you pull and pay, but someone else had pulled them. Um, they just happened to be there and like already had them. Um, but I got some stock Nissan Steelys that are chrome plated, and some my my buddy had found like a like new set of all-terrain tires like some really nice ones the the biggest ones that fit my truck without rubbing and i got new seats a new center console and i got the correct offset wheels with the big tires on my truck and that was super cool so and now i got them 31s on it and yeah that's that's about as big as that truck will hold i mean it would probably hold like 32s but they would definitely rub so you just have to like cut some shit off or hammer some shit, and I don't feel like doing that. So they're thirty um, ones, but you keep them clean. Well, they're fifteens though, so those are clean for sure. I made them shine before I put them on. Um, but no, the the real problem was is the old rims had the wrong backspacing, so the tires stuck out a little bit, and the truck just got extremely filthy anytime you drove on dirt roads. So um, I did that on Saturday, and then finished that up on Sunday. And then was it maybe Sunday or I don't know. I'm going to lose track of time because I didn't work from the last time we recorded until Friday. So, like, I had to just, like, all this time off. So, like, I rode mountain bikes. I installed a 36 on my bike. So, I, I got to ride the 36, and it's cool, and it's better than the 34. And then I rode my dirt bike on single track as well. And there was definitely a time that I crashed, and it was just, like, did you cry at all? I, You know what? I didn't even have the desire to cry. I just had a lot of... I had a lot of feelings during that ride. <laughs> there was a lot of feelings. Um, I parked up on Methodist Mountain and rode uh, this kind of like double out and back. I went up one access road and I did an out and back like over some gnarly stuff back to the road. Then I did an out and back the other way that was much less gnarly stuff. And then... Um, I'm fairly certain this hiker flirted with me, and it. I was just like, "All right, I'm I'm out. Uh, I gotta I like go." Your yeah, she told me she liked my outfit, and I'm like, "Yeah, I my girlfriend 
likes it too and i just like left it at that so what else did she say um, your outfit would look good on my bedroom floor no you know uh i just didn't let it evolve to that point um <laughs> did she offer you any wine to like fix anything in her house or anything no no she didn't um but i i went i mean like it, the thing is, is, like, I just, like, passed them and then stopped because I was like, I need to fucking sit on the ground for a minute. I'm tired. I need to eat a snack. I need to drink some water. I'm blown out. And then, like, they came hiking down the trail. And for those of oh, – we've talked about this, like, the, the, the motorized used hand signal of, like, how many more people are there. And I, like, did that to them. And the ladies both gave me this very confused look. And just kind of like you just, smiled you just awkwardly. Have, you just had one finger up, so they thought you were saying like you're number one or something. No, I was the. There was no one behind me, so I just had like a closed hand up, like you know, like Black Power. Like, ah, <laughs> that's what it looks like every time I see that on the trail. I'm just like, ha, ah, that's funny. So, no, you're not gonna take a picture of me doing this. I'm too white to be on the internet doing that. So, I like was stopped, and they came through, and I'm like, hey, quick question. In case she, I was like, did you know what my hand sign meant? And they were like, no, not a clue. And everyone on motorcycles has done it to us. I'm like, all right. So I explained it. And then they like asked me some questions about where they were going. And I gave them some trail information. And then they complimented me on my outfit. And I was like, yeah, I got to go. And then they were like, oh, is that a 250? You're like, nah, that's a 450. It's a 450X. Uh. Um. Anyway, so I rode motorcycles, I rode my bike, I rode my BMX bike, which I'm done with. It doesn't have any suspension and it wants to kill you and I'm not not uh not sure that it's something that I, I need to continually attempt to possibly hurt myself with. Um let's see, what else did I do? We built a raised platform in Andrea's forerunner. So to make a long story short, the when you fold the back seats down, the back seats are higher than the like cargo area, so we made like a little flattener and it has a little pull out that'll function like a little table and whatnot. So um let's see and then So would you say Andrea's forerunner pulls out? Uh yeah, it does. I mean, doesn't have like the full like push and pray commitment. Um, after the driving I saw the other day, the exposure risk, Andrea looks like she wants to murder me. So what are you even talking about? No, I don't, I was just babbling and being a jackass. Um, so then I don't know, like I, I rode my bike some more is pretty cool. I think that's all I have. Is there anything that? Andrea wants the microphone. We're going to try to move this as little as possible because it's going to sound terrible every time it's moved. It's very easy to take out post-production. First, I'll start with the weekly chicken nugget because I have come to realize that you all are gigantic fans of my chickens. And I, well, over over the uh, break since the last time that we recorded... Uh, Matt and I processed all of the meat chickens, except for one, who was very small, 
and she's gets around really well um even though these meat chickens so your your standard like the chicken you buy in the grocery store and what a lot of people raise is called a cornish cross and they mature within about 8 weeks and that way yeah they grow so fast that you don't have to feed them for very long because meat chickens eat a fucking lot of food so you're telling me i can get is, i can get new chicken nuggets every 8 weeks yes that is incredible but they grow so fast that they can't live at elevation like even people at like 4 and 5000 feet have problems with these chickens just dropping dead because their lungs don't develop fast enough to to compensate for the growth in their body. They also can get like joint like hip and foot problems and stuff and not be able to walk. Um but that's you know, that's how you get a $6 chicken in the grocery store. But um so the Chickens that I raised are called, they're uh, produced by a hatchery called McMurray Hatchery, and it is the Big Red Broiler. And these get ready uh, between 10 and 12 weeks of age, and I process them at 11 and 12 weeks. I did the, like, the six largest ones, and then uh, at 11 weeks, and then the the rest of them uh, I did today. And it's it's a lot of work. You know, it's it's a whole lot of work, and I don't have a plucker. But so um, they they did okay. They you know I didn't have any just drop dead because they lived at elevation. But there there were definitely some that like limped around a little bit. I kind of felt a little bad for them, uh, just because yeah, that's just like the nature of the breed. Though they're made to you know live for twelve weeks and then go to your freezer. So they're they're not bred for longevity, but this one that was a little smaller, she seems like she gets around really well, and uh, these apparently lay eggs really well uh, if you keep them, so I'm just going to keep her around as a, a laying hen because my hens are just slacking a little bit. Uh, that is your weekly chicken nugget. Let's see what else. I've come to realize, so in uh, actual bike news... Matt and I went for a mountain bike ride, and we rode uh, the trail that he's talked about a lot, Upper Sand Dunes, and it is a really fun trail, and I have cleaned that trail on multiple occasions with no hesitation, but ever since I had those three rides in a row where I wrecked, there's one short section of that trail that I come around the corner, I look at it, and I just have, like, I I slow down to look at it more, and then all of a sudden I'm going too slow to ride it, and I just walk it. And I'm not really sure how to, like, get over that. I've never had, like, a long-lasting effect from wrecking, but I guess it was just the, like, three wrecks in a row that it just somehow, like, brain-fucked me a little bit, and I've I've just got to figure it out, so. Uh, That's kind of my only mountain bike news that I have. Uh, We did just get, while Matt was talking earlier, we got a PayPal donation from... I have an idea of how to get over your fear. You just need to get really blitz and rip the trail. Maybe like like one shot of whiskey or something might, might help. And that definitely, so like scientifically... Yes, it lowers your inhibitions, but it also slows down your reaction time. So while I might be more likely to just be like, cool, no brakes, I'm going to ride this, which is kind of how you have to ride that section, 
um, you're also more likely to wreck because your reaction time is slower. So while mentally it might help, physically it could be dangerous and just compound the problem if I did have a wreck because that would be a bad place to wreck. Like anywhere on that trail would be a bad place to wreck. That trail is just like fucking rocks everywhere. Like the whole thing could just rash you up all over the place. But while Matt was talking earlier, I got an email that we got a $29 donation from Brian B. And he says, keep riding along. And that was on PayPal. Um, anytime we post an episode, we have the links to both our Patreon and our PayPal. So if you don't want to join Patreon and be kind of committed to that monthly donation, even though you can join for as little as $3 per month, um, if you don't want that, you can do a one-time donation through our PayPal. And the link is in the show notes. Join now. Cancel anytime. <laughs> exactly. You don't even have to cancel if you, uh, you know, if you just do PayPal. It's just that that one and done. Kenny, do you have any new shit that you hate or don't hate? Let's see. What do I not hate? GX Axis has been flying off the shelf. It seems really good. I haven't seen any issues so far, but it's pretty new. So that's really neat. I wish I could get GX cool. mechanical derailers. That would be cool. I've got about 100 on order for the past year that are in oh Never Neverland for real. It's insane. Yeah, the shipping stuff is nuts right now. There's like more cargo ships stuck in limbo in LA and New York now than like in all of history, I think. It's pretty crazy because there's just nobody to work. Is it? Like nobody. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's Yeah, it's a lot of things, you know, from I'm sure like foreman type people to the people actually unloading stuff to the people, you know, driving uh, the trucks that are going to go then take those containers to probably some other warehouse, the people that work at that warehouse, like all those people, there's just fewer of them than there were before on top of the fact that there's even like higher demand for stuff. It's crazy. I think we're going to get to an interesting point here, not to get too political or whatever, but um, yeah, it's really wild. I mean, you can, I don't think you have to get political. About no, it's it. not I mean, necessarily it's wild, like, political. It's just in, in general, just how the economy and the workforce and, and changing attitudes and, you know, mix in a little bit of inflation and, and demand. There's a huge demand for stuff that requires lower end labor, if you will, right? Like that's just the nature of it. Like everybody wants all this stuff, but someone has to do it. Somebody's got to drive that truck. Someone's got to unload that ship. Someone's got to work at that restaurant. Like that's Yeah, and it's thing. almost like, you know, you have these people who are, I mean, if you look at it, like cost of living for a lot of people versus what they're getting paid, it took a global pandemic for people to be like, you know what? I'm worth a lot more than what I'm getting paid and I'm going to do something else. And it just kind of like, it's like we reached a tipping point where a lot of people who weren't being appreciated or, you know, whatever, like whether monetarily or um, not monetarily, just, you know, not being taken care of for their worth, um, you know, they just decided to, throw up the middle fingers and just get the fuck out. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, it's just interesting to think about 
and I don't even know how we got on that tangent, to be honest. I think you were asking me if there's any shit that I hate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> no shit that I hate. Just, yeah, most stuff is pretty darn good these days. The TRP brakes, that whole lineup seems to be great. Those, um, you know, if you've got an e-bike or something like that, something with a little bit more weight, those big old thick 2.3 rotors are really good. So um, just passing along knowledge, if we haven't already done this on another episode, but if you're looking at TRP brakes, anything that says Evo in the description means that it comes with a 2.3 rotor. So that's all the Evo means. They're really good. Oh, well, that's good. Do, do they have, like, does that, does the same caliper work on a 2.3 rotor as other, like, a normal-sized rotor? No. So a 2.3 caliper needs a 2.3 rotor and vice okay, versa. that's kind of what I thought. I do have, and of course TRP will say don't do this, and I'll also say don't do this. <laughs> on my Suron right now with the, you know, Suron Do Good Brake Stuff brand, uh, brakes that are on it. They're quad piston something or others that use Shimano pads and they're actually great brakes. They're fine, but they're not made for a 2.3 rotor. I crammed one in there. Um, you know, I just <laughs> modified the fluid level to make that work and just cram those pistons all the way back in there. But you, I got like significant drag for the first ride. And then as everything kind of wears, wears in and, you know, goes through a couple of heat cycles, they feel great. So like totally good piston retraction, like tons of lever pull, everything is great. So definitely don't do that. It's not a great idea, but you could, if you really, really wanted to, at least on some people's brakes, I have, have a not... motor to wear off that drag. On yeah, the first ride. exactly. Exactly. Um, and they weren't dragging so bad that the wheel was like stopping. It was just basically hair trigger. You know what I mean? Like just you barely pull that lever and they're already engaged but they kind of fix themselves but anyway long story short <laughs> trp brakes are really good they've got semi-decent availability uh, um, they're pretty cheap so yeah go check out trp brakes if you are looking for something a little bit different uh, they've got really really good lever feel um, quite kind of old school levers like very long levers uh, but they've got like the right amount of pull and when they engage it's like you know really solid feeling which is uh, what i personally like are they still mineral oil they are mineral oil yes is the hose still a larger diameter making them a pain in the ass to route through bikes yes good so to know there's there's a lot of reasons maybe not to buy them but for the most part all, <laughs> all the bikes i've installed them on they've been fantastic so there's a couple little gotchas in there all right um uh, on the topic of that's a, a good segue into a question that we got on Patreon, or as Reed says, this isn't so much of a question as a topic. This is this is long, by the way. I'm about to talk for a while, but then Kenny can talk because... Do we want to tag team it? Yeah, we, Matt and I can both read it. Uh, we'll go paragraph by paragraph. This isn't so much a question as a topic, but looking at thoughts on the future of EMTB bikes... As I consider a next bike. I know Kenny is mostly on Olivo these days. And I'm seeing more out on the trails. I ride in the Seattle Bellingham area. And we don't yet have a lot of places that officially allow e-bikes. But there, but there are more out there all the time. And it looks like it is just a matter of time until things open up. So I guess. Is, see, is, is this like oh, a. There's a lot more. Oh, okay. 
It seems to me like the future might be having an XE trail-oriented bike. Trail. It seems to me like the future might be having an XE trail-oriented bike that is analog, and then a longer travel enduro e-bike on flatter undulating trails that are mixed use and non-directional. I think having an e-bike moving at a fast pace could hurt bike access, as I already see hikers, trail runners having issues with bikes coming up quick. On the other hand, when I ride trail systems where the climbings are trails or fire roads and then directional downhills, I'd love to have an e-bike to get up the climbs quicker and don't really see that having the same impact on other trail users. Since Kenny rides at Lebo and knows what these specialized bikes are looking at, his opinion on the lightweight ones versus the full power ones. I don't like the idea of a 55 plus pound bike and don't really, and don't do really long rides. If I was just looking to get an extra downhill lap or two on a two-hour work after ride or a three- or four-hour weekend ride, are the lower-powered, lighter ones a good choice? I have an analog enduro, and I love having the powered, or I love the idea of having the powered version of it. If they ever get one at a lower price point, cool. Is that is that the so, full question slash topic? That that be it. So what what do you think, Mister E Bite Daddy? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many ways to look at this, but if you are an experienced rider and you may you have decent fitness, I honestly don't think you're going to like a full power e-bike. They are pretty ungainly to ride. They're, they make so much power and so much torque that it's kind of weird, but they're also very limited on speed. I mean, it's a 20 mile an hour limit, which is, yes, while it's quick for the amount of power it has, it's honestly not that quick. These new modern bikes make so much power that they really want to stretch their legs to like 30, but they don't go that fast. So it's almost to me like why? You've got this monster battery, this insanely powerful motor, and then it's speed limited for safety. I'm not saying they shouldn't be speed limited. I think they should be. That's fine. But everybody gets in these spec wars of look how big this battery is. Look how many newton meters of torque my motor makes, all this garbage. And it's dumb. And also, you only have so much traction anyway. So, like, what are you doing? I don't. I don't love the full power bikes. I think they're a little bit silly, but if you're in a place where the only access is like all the fun stuff is like really short and unbelievably steep and the access is all gravel road stuff. So a lot of California is this way. And I know there's a lot of places like that as well. And you just have this many, many, many mile, just straight up gravel road climb. Yeah, full power e-bike, just slap that thing in full turbo, soft pedal, talk with your buddies, rip 20 miles an hour up the gravel road, and then do the descent. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing more normal-ish mountain bike trails that you could totally do and have a good time on an analog bike, I would get the lower power versions of the bikes. They are more like a mountain bike and less like a motorcycle. So I really like my lightweight Levo and I think it's got the right amount of travel. I think that one, you know, kind of 140 to 150 travel uh, bike is really good for most people to do most things. I haven't spent much time on the Kinevo SL. I'd like to ride that one a little bit more, but it's, you know, it's a lot heavier. It's like five plus pounds heavier. Basically, if I did my build on the Kinevo SL, which would be honestly probably too lightweight of a build for what that bike is as far as travel goes it would be five pounds heavier, which is like not a small amount of weight. 
So that's a tough decision. A lot of times it's going to be dictated by the people you ride with. If all your buddies have full power bikes, you're going to not have great time on your Levo SL. Like you're probably just not. Um, but if you're doing like solo riding and general mountain bike riding, I would say the lighter weight one is the better way to go. It just, my bike feels more like a, a regular mountain bike than it does an e-bike. Um, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my take on it. Yeah. And as far as trail access goes, um, well, for one, don't ride an e-bike where they're not legal. Even if it's just inevitable, like at some point it's going to be legal, just don't do it until it's legal. And there are a lot of incredibly entitled people that are taking their e-bikes on non-motorized trails where they're not allowed and just being like, ah, make me, like, get off the trail. Like, I'm just going to do it anyway. You can't tell. It's just a, you know, it's whatever. I'm not going to get into that part because it fucking sucks. But whatever bike you have, ride where it's legal and don't ride like a dick. You know, if you're worried about coming up too fast on hikers and it's a trail that's really popular, multi-use, just don't go that fast. Yeah, an no e-bike an e-bike is no different than any other situation. <laughs> if you were on a moto or a horse or a whatever the fuck, like don't go ripping by somebody who's stationary. Like that's just good common sense, I think. So just be a courteous human being. Yeah, rule 1, don't be a dick. Cool. All right. Next question. Do you want to move to the next question? Yeah. Uh, moving over to Instagram now, uh, from Chris, we have a maintenance question. I bought a Santa Cruz high tower and had suspension linkage and pivot serviced as well as a general tune-up. Bike's two plus years old now. What other maintenance do I need to worry about? I'm guessing hubs maybe and maybe grease some stuff. Yeah, so I guess I'll go real quick forget about the age of the bike. It doesn't really matter. It's all about time on the bike. So at a hundred hours, which is going to be kind of the first big milestone for a bike, other than the initial, you know, break in tune up where you just want to make sure you don't have spokes that are no tension and derailers that aren't shifting, but you'll generally catch all that stuff. <clears throat> you know, that's when your headset's going to settle in. So get rid of all the clunks and the weird stuff when the bike's brand new minty fresh. And then at 100 hours, you're going to do damn near everything. Probably, I mean, depends on the bikes. Bikes have gotten a lot better now as far as pivot service goes. And every brand's got different stuff, so whatever. Don't come at me with, oh, well, you know, Yeti says to do this and that. Modern stuff's pretty darn good. For the most part, you don't need to mess with it until you've got creaking or clunking or play or something goofy. Um, but 100 hours is going to be wiper service on the suspension front and rear it's going to be a free hub body service pretty much no matter what brand you have it's probably going to be about time to do a chain possibly a front chain ring uh hopefully you've done at least one or two sets of tires everything else really in my opinion needs to be a case-by-case -case basis you know like do you, you should probably rebuild your headset at 100 miles. All that means is it's 10 minutes. You pull it apart. You clean everything with a rag. You put fresh grease on everything, and you slap it back together. 
everything else, it's hard to say. People always ask, well, when do I replace bearings? I don't know, replace it when it's crunchy. Like that's it. Some people get 50 hours out of bearings. Some people get 5,000 miles out of a bearing. It just depends. So every- Right, and bearings a lot of times will like, they'll either make noise or you feel them. Like if you have your bike in the stand and you spin the wheel, especially the front wheel, because you don't have the drivetrain in play, um, spin the front wheel and you'll hear it if your bearings are dry or you'll develop some play. Like you can grab your wheel yeah. when it's in the bike and you can rock it back and forth a tiny bit. So I would say staying on top of your drivetrain and your suspension and obviously, you know, replacing brake pads and tires as needed. Everything else is a case-by-case basis, truly. Um, outside of free yeah, body and service a- and maybe rebuilding that headset, everything else is like pretty, will probably go a really, really long time. Yeah, and it's a good idea, you know, if you notice that your brake pads are worn down, uh, go ahead at the same time that you replace your pads and use some calipers, digital if you've got it, uh, and measure your rotors. Because um, rotors, you know, are definitely a wear part, and whatever brand of rotor you have, they should have laser etched in the rotor on one of the arms what the wear limit is on there. You know, it's like the guy that uh, came into Absolute Bikes one day and did not want his rotors replaced, and he didn't believe Matt when Matt said that his rotors needed to be replaced, and his rotors were like. Were they like at 1.2, maybe? Yeah, Homeboy's rotors were 1.2, and I'm like... Oh, that's nothing. Yeah, man, man, like they... I've seen like a 1.0 something now, oh, like a 1.07. No, we got a 0.8 in the shop the other day. But like this dude's just like, nah, man, I'm not doing it. Like I'm like, cool, well, I'm not bleeding your brakes because if we put a bleed block in there and bleed them, it's not going to feel right because the pad's not the right thickness. And he's so, like... Quite literally, if you get below most of rotors, now don't take this for for fact because everyone's different, but somewhere in the ballpark of 1.5 mil is where most mainstream rotors need to be replaced, assuming that it started life at a 1.8 or a 2.0. Anyway, if you go below that and then you go all the way to the backing plate on your set of pads, you can actually pop a piston out of the caliper. And it's going to be a bad time, like a super fucking bad time, like you're going to die. Well, that happened at uh, a long time ago. I did the Fool's Gold mountain bike race, and that happened to lots of brakes there because people wore straight through their pads. And if your rotor was, like you're saying, like you're, it rained and the dirt there is just, it was like sandblasting, like wet sanding every part of your bike. And so many people, like that happened, that happened to my brakes, my formula brakes, and I had to send them to formula. And they were like, what happened to these brakes? <laughs> because... That happened, and then, like, the shit got inside the brake also. So it just, it was all sorts of fucked up. But, yeah, homeboy's like, nah, man, you just put the cup on there. And I'm like, nah, man, we don't do lever bleeds when your stuff's worn. And he's like, blah, blah. And I'm like, you just need to replace your rotor. It's like, it's double worn out. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. And I'm like, he's like, you're blah, blah. And he, like, wouldn't believe me. And I was like, man, it's printed on the rotor. That's how we got to this. It's printed on the rotor. And he said to me, I'm not dealing with this guy. And I took his bike out of the work stand and handed it to him. I looked at the next customer and said, I'm going to walk out this back door. I said, do you have three minutes? And he's like, yeah. I said, I'm going to walk out this back door. I'm going to walk down that sidewalk to the river, 
along the sidewalk, up this sidewalk. I was like, I'm going to come in the door up front here. I'm going to walk up behind you, and we're going to start afresh, and I'm going to leave all that behind. And he goes, sounds cool with me, man. I'll be here. And I come back around. I work on his bike. And when I was done, he, like, stuck me, like, five or ten bucks. He's like, yeah, that's my buddy. He's a dickhead. (laughs) I thought we actually ended up working on... That guy's, like, I thought I remember we didn't do it. Oh, okay. I I guess that was another person that just was, like, totally clapped out that just wanted brake pads and, or just a brake bleed. That was the most common thing that I saw as a mechanic. Someone's like, yeah, my, I need a brake bleed. Like, I don't have any pressure at the lever. And it's like, oh, your pads are worn out. And they're like, oh, yeah, then go ahead and replace the pads. And I'm like, hold on. You get the calipers out and you measure the rotor. It's like, we're going to put some rotors on here, too. And, you know, like, they thought that they just were getting a brake bleed, but they're really getting all new parts. And that's just, yeah, look at what your rotor says. Measure with calipers. Um, keep an eye on your brake pads. Uh, there's... Most people, by the I way, don't know. most people are going to get about two sets of pads to a rotor. Like, that's just the way of it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Maybe if you're lucky, you're going to get three, but two or three sets of pads. Like, that's it. A lot of it depends on your your size, your riding conditions, your terrain. Um, in Memphis, I think working at outdoors, I replaced like four sets of brake pads the entire time I worked there. Yeah, it because, really just didn't happen much. Yeah, like in Memphis, no matter how large or small you are, you can go for a 100-mile ride and have less than 1,000 feet of elevation change for the entire ride. All right. So think, to answer think, Homeboy's question about what they need to do on their bike, just do what needs to be done. I mean, it sounds really like asshole to say that out loud, but like there's nothing like there's not a set thing where it's like, well, you've ridden this many miles, you gotta throw this part away. It's not a McLaren, there's not planned obsolescence. You know, you just need to figure out what needs something and give it to it. Right. And just Matt and I, like in the switch, like me talking to the microphone and him, we're going to bump heads at some point and it's going to be fucking hilarious for you all, but it's going to suck for us. Uh, yeah, like check your chain. When If you put a new chain on and it sounds really like oinky and noisy on the chain ring, you need a new chain ring. You can also just look at your chain ring if you're, I'm assuming you're running a narrow, narrow wide chain ring. You know, once the little shoulders start to wear off of the wide parts and once the narrow parts start to be very, like, shark-finned, looking, like, super narrow and sharp, like the whole, like, tooth itself has a sharp edge on it, um, that's a good, you know, a good indicator that you need a new front chain ring. Uh, you know, your cassette... If you've had two or three chains on it, might be time for a new cassette. You know, it's all just going to really depend on you and how you use it. Like, if you use the whole cassette and you change your chain every time it starts to stretch, you know, it's going to last a really long time. You know, if you're, and I don't think you are, but if you're one of those people that's like, I run a 34-tooth chain ring because that's how my suspension works best. And you spend all of your time on the lowest gear because you're riding a 34 tooth chain ring. Guess how long your cassette's going to last? Not long. So one more thing like one, on the one or two chains. 
is all you're getting. Yeah. Because that lowest gear is just going to wear the fuck out. So a chain ring test you can do. It might help if you've got a buddy, if you don't have a work stand, but you can just put the bike on the ground and then hold both brakes and just slowly load up the drivetrain, like slowly pedal forward and just look at the chain ring versus the chain. And you'll see, if you see that chain ring shift a whole lot and then the chain stays dead still, then that's a problem. Like it shouldn't wiggle on the chain ring. Uh, the other thing that I've noticed with narrow wide chain rings is the narrow tooth. When the anodization, like if you look at a brand new chain ring, the teeth have a tapered top. Not like front to back, like on the loading edge, but like side to side. Um, and when the taper is worn off the narrow tooth, you should throw that chain ring away. I don't, if you ask me what makes me think that, it's experience. Because if you put a brand new chain on that chain ring, it's going to oink under load. And if you swap it, golden. And if you don't want to take that advice, that's fine. You're an adult probably. Yep. Another good thing to do is just look for chain suck. It's really easy. Might take a buddy. You can also feel slash hear it. But put down a whole bunch of power, apply the brakes, and just slowly pedal around a parking lot. And if the chain does not disengage from the bottom of your chain ring, like it wants to keep riding up, it doesn't let go of it, then you got a chain ring problem. Right. And the way to do that by yourself is ride in a way where you can see your shadow. And if the bottom chain is like flapping around when you're just pedaling on smooth pavement, it means that it's not releasing from the chain ring and it, it's a worn out chain ring. Right. And this isn't chain suck. Like if you've been riding mountain bikes a while and you had a three by especially uh, drivetrain, you may have experienced the chain, the type of chain suck where the chain stays on the chain ring and rides all the way up into the space between the chain ring and the frame and just like decimates your frame and bends a bunch of shit. We're talking way more subtle. Like it's, it's going up on the chain ring for maybe like, I don't know, 10 to 20 degrees of the rotation and falling off rather than just um, keeping a straight line from the bottom of the chain ring towards the derailleur. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is way more subtle. Like, it's not the type of chain suck that breaks frames and shit like that. Um, you know, it's it's just like a really, I don't know, like a chain wobble. Not even a suck. All right, next question. Next question. All right, this is from Sandstone Anticline. I just got back into mountain biking after a seven or eight year school and poverty induced hiatus. Picked up a new intense sniper tee and want to know what full face helmet a guy who rides XC but wants to keep his face intact could wear and possibly not hate. I'm also interested in catching up on broad strokes of what has changed for mountain biking since I've been out and where things appear to be headed. So seven or eight years of mountain biking. Well, let's do the easy one first. Kenny, what helmet should he get Mr. Full Face? There's a lot of really good options out there. I haven't used them all. I spent a ridiculous amount of time on the Bell Super 2R slash 3R. And that's a good one. It's got a detachable uh, bottom. So no matter what, it's not going to be as burly if you do crash. And it's also going to be a little heavier because there's more hardware on there. I would vote 
these days if you get a full face they make so many lightweight ones now i would just get one that's bespoke full face and just leave it alone right now i'm on the smith it is called the uh clack around here a little bit it while is, kenny's typing i don't know if he has experience with this but like the the fox airframe would be an example of a dedicated full face non-downhill rated helmet. I think yeah. that's the key. Yeah, don't buy a down downhill rated helmet. Like, they're great and all, but a downhill rated home helmet is practically a motocross helmet. Like, they have to have different standards because they're going way faster, and when they crash, it's way worse. So um, you don't necessarily need one of those for what you're doing. I have a Smith Mainline. They're 300 bucks. definitely expensive. It's really lightweight. It breathes super good. They look good. Uh, the one downside to it is the MIPS liner where it's dusty here. It squeaks like crazy and it drives me insane, but everything else about the helmet is really nice. All right. Uh, seven to nine years. Do we all want to like 30 seconds on the shot clock? Go. <laughs> yeah, I'll go for it. Yeah. Basically you guys gotta go first. everything in the world has gotten better. It's not like some dramatic difference, but basically everything's one by that's how it should be all suspension that's not shit is amazing and pretty much all the geometry is like pretty dialed and buy a 29er all suspension that's not shit is amazing kenny you're going down in like the fucking history books with that one i'll hop in uh through axles tapered head tubes um better brakes Light is no longer the new black. Bikes have gotten heavier for good reason. They don't break all the time anymore. Um, let's see. Tubeless doesn't require an air compressor and a loss of hearing anymore. Um, and let's see. What else? What else? I, uh, I'm running out of time. Oh, dropper posts. They're sick. You don't have to get your twigs and berries ransacked every time you go over a bump. I just had like 12 ideas and I forgot all of them. But number one, I would say, is hydraulic disc brakes are wonderful now. I'd say seven or eight years ago, uh, it was sometimes popular to go with an Avid BB7 because the general consensus was it wasn't much worse or it was very similar to current offerings of hydraulic disc brakes. But that has changed. Hydraulic disc brakes are amazing now, and that's no longer true. Um, not that there's anything really bad about a BB-7. It just does not come close to having the power and modulation of a uh, a good hydraulic disc brake. And all the stuff that Kenny and Matt said. This has happened to me twice recently, where I've been like, trying to log into something... And it's like, no, you have to update all of your recovery information and all this. And I'm like, not right now. I got shit I got to do. So we got a couple of questions. We got one that's from Jason. He says, hey, Flatlander from North Texas, trying to figure out what I want for a single-speed frame. I'm riding an old karate monkey, and it certainly gets the job done, but I but bought that just to see how I liked having a single speed and I love it. Time to upgrade. I feel like I've narrowed it down to the Spot Rocker Carbon or the Y-Cycles El Jefe. From reviews, it seems like the Rocker is amazing. My hesitation is I went into the search thinking I wanted a nice dealer tie bike, but the Rocker just keeps taunting me. 
This will be my grab-and-go bike for the majority of mountain biking I do. I know y'all have experience with both brands. Maybe not the El Jefe specifically, but close. So I think it would... I thought I would come to y'all for some input. I love the show. Also, it seems y'all have some sort of influence on me. My other bike is an RKT9 with a Fox 34 step cast and had fast tracks for a while. No lie. Love it. Thanks, Jason. So Andrea has experience with the with the the rocker but let's talk about the el jefe first i had an s7 and i think i dropped two pounds going to my karate or to my uh timber jack and i think i'll drop another two pounds if i go to a rocker i've been investigating the rocker pretty heavily for the last few days i've been thinking that i want it i've never owned a carbon single speed um and i kind of miss having a, a faster hardtail my my timber jack's not very fast so i've really been eyeballing that bike um thinking about getting one i I really want to build something real dumb out of it but you know it's it's tough i I live somewhere where a like an epic hardtail doesn't really make sense but i want to build something as close to that as i can and it still be usable for here and the the spot really slots into that for me um so I think it'd be a really cool bike. If you're weight conscious, the spot will definitely win. And if you don't care about weight, then the El Jefe will probably be fine. Um, I just think that, you know, if you put it all together, and it's not going to save a ton of weight over your Karate Monkey. And I think that's part of getting a new bike is, is going to be something like that. So with that, I'll just shut up and, and let you two fight like rabid dogs. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you really just have a thing for steel or tie, then sure, get the El Jefe. But yeah, like Matt said, yeah, the weight difference is going to be pretty big between the two. And I love the rocker. I've had tie single speeds before, and I liked them. There was nothing wrong with them. But yeah, you, like you just drop some weight, and it it's very it's a very versatile bike. You know, it's it is a carbon hardtail, which is you know, very hammery, um, just in its nature, but it also, you know, with like a 120 fork on it, um, with like the Sid 35 stanchion fork, it's really awesome. Like it's, you know, it's very shreddy for a carbon hardtail. So, you know, that would be my vote, but I also just like light carbon stuff. So my take is I never owned a super duper lightweight single speed. I think mine back in the day was 25 pounds or something. I like tie bikes. I think they're really neat, but they're pretty expensive. And I don't think they necessarily ride that amazing. Every time I rode them, I wanted to like love them. Like I felt like I was obligated to love them. But honestly, if I was blindfolded and it was next to a steel bike, I don't notice, I wouldn't notice any ride quality difference. In fact, I would probably argue that most of the steel single speed bikes I rode were like that little bit better, a little bit smoother. So, I mean, tie is really neat. I think maybe tie would be better for, you know, that all around use road bike that you're going to put a zillion miles on, uh, but not necessarily race it or that commuter bike. But yeah, it's, it's pretty spendy no matter how you look at it. Right. On the other hand, your commuter bike should probably be not super baller so it doesn't get stolen or if it breaks you don't cry or whatever right so tie is a tough one 
I think the reason Thai is so popular is because it's expensive and because you can very easily make custom bikes out of it because people can manipulate it and weld it and do all that stuff in their garage, essentially, right? So I didn't mean that to be like a dig on Thai. I just, in this day and age, as good as other materials are, I don't really understand it. There's not as many lightweight baller carbon single speed bikes, I think, as there used to be. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but they're kind of getting harder the and harder. The Air 9 to find. is just really old. Yeah. That's, I think, part of it is like that bike hasn't been updated to better tire clearance, slightly less aggressive. You know, it's a classic XC single speed right now. And, yes. And it hasn't been updated to not be that. So, yep. But and like, you can also the Gary... anything that's press fit 30. You can make into a single speed because what Matt's shaking his head no. Wheels Manufacturing has that really awesome uh, eccentric bottom bracket. And that is correct, but nothing says that your frame won't crush when you do that. It's like it's nothing against wheels, but like PF30 frames, like like an epic hardtail. I would never turn it into a single speed with that thing because I would be afraid that it would just like implode i think you know i don't know if they're pf30 or not that number one for what it's worth this is just my if i were buying a single speed tomorrow it would be a sliding drop or a rocker drop i would not do anything bottom bracket related personally it's not that you can't plenty of people have good luck with them but i just wouldn't because i've been the person that has to fuck with other people's bikes that are fucked up and it's almost always the eccentric bottom bracket ones so that's what I would do. I, I don't have as much experience with the two that you're looking at, unfortunately, but yeah, that's all I got. Uh, and don't forget that if you want to go mainstream uh, and all your cool single speed friends will hate you because you're not cool and niche, don't forget that the specialized fuse aluminum is sliding drop and it's cheap. Very true. I've been looking at that bike, but it's aluminum, so I'm not into it. I don't know why they didn't make the carbon one do it too. Yeah, I think that's a big oversight. That would have been really neat. Um, you can wrap it up now. Well, we have one other one. Oh, okay. No, we don't. We're done. That's right. We're done. And we're at exactly Sorry. an hour. Plus or minus once we do some editing and some l- massaging and whatnot. So well, I mean, be careful. That's it. If we take out all the bad stuff, it's going to be like five minutes. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 10. Thanks for listening. That's <laughs> how so you cut out all the bad parts of our show because it's all utter shit. Um, cool. Well, does anyone want to say anything else? Nah. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along show. There's some shit coming out of your great pads.